Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. We're currently in a study on the book of Ephesians, and today I have the privilege of sharing with you from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, as we talk about God's ideal for the family. If you're looking for a church to call your own, a place that you can connect with other believers, we invite you to join us for worship at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville, Arkansas, on Sunday mornings at 1030. We'd love to have you. If you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. We also can be found on the web at calvaryfayetteville.com. Well, let's hop into our message for today as we look at God's ideal for the family. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let me peel back the layers for you, or unveil, you know, behind the curtain, that sort of thing. If you've ever wondered if preachers get nervous when they step into the pulpit, please understand that we do, or at least I do. There's a lot of reasons behind that. Um, own lack of confidence, maybe some things like that, but there's an enormity of, of weight that we carry when we look into God's Word, making sure that we are interpreting it correctly, that we're sharing what the message actually says, and that we're not reading our own thoughts and personalities into it, but what does God's Word say? So that's my hope and prayer today as we go forward into this message that the concepts that we share, the things that we look at in this brief passage of Scripture will be those thoughts that God wants us to know, that He wants us to embrace today. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, over the last several weeks and months, we've been working our way through the letter to the Ephesians in a series our pastor has called Rags to Riches. We've taken a deeper look at a book in the Bible which is truly rich in content, as we've talked about our relationship with Christ. Now, I remember being back at Central Baptist College in my Greek translation class with Dr. Joel Slayton and spending a semester walking through this book. The thing that pops out in my mind is a circle that he would draw on the board. He would write in that circle, Christ. And he focused in on a word called ice being in Christ. And we draw arrows. It's, we're being in Christ. And that, that image has stayed with me for, well, closing in on 30 years. Now, as we've looked at, the Ephes- at Ephesians, we have seen in this first half of the book those things about doctrine, about teaching. And as we look at Paul's writings, that's usually how he deviates or divides the book. He'll talk about the doctrine teaching, and then he talks about application. So beginning in chapter 4, we've looked at the application of the Scripture, or in light of those things that we have learned, we are called to walk in a manner that is worthy of the relationship that we have been gifted. So we're in that application phase of his letter to the Ephesians. Now most recently, Pastor Kirk talked about Ephesians 5.21 and how we're to submit ourselves one to another in reverence of the Lord. It's kind of at the heartbeat of this whole second half of the letter. As we live on our faith in this world, the act of submission shows those around us that our relationship with Christ makes us different. 
Now, we need to live authentic lives. And if we want to make an impact on the generations that are younger than us, on the Gen Z, our millennials, and then Gen Z, and even Generation Alpha that's coming up, there's a need to be authentic. And we need to be authentic believers. So what I'm sharing today is not about any sort of play acting. It's about a reality that we have with Christ, a relationship that is real, that is expressed in a real way. And when people see that, their lives are changed. Now, last week's message, Pastor Kirk showed us how that looks in the marriage relationship, that idea of submission, as he talked about the meaning and the mystery of marriage. This week, we're going to continue with the overriding thought of submission as we talk about living out our faith in the home and specifically God's ideal for the family. So let's look at our text together, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. There the Bible says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture and how we find truth here about how we're to live out our lives as family members. And I just ask that you, you help us today, that you help us see changes that we need to make as believers and followers of your son. Help us to, to live out our, our faith in a real way to where that, that act makes a difference in the world that we live in. Father, forgive us as a body. Forgive us individually. Father, we seek you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love thinking about family. I'm the pastor of family ministries here. It, it's an obvious thing, or you would think it would be. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Family is important to Temple and I as we minister to our world. I have the privilege, as I said, of being the pastor of family ministries here at Calvary. And Temple works with families as they navigate a whole host of challenges in her counseling office. But I'll tell you, it's been in these last five years, as I'm headed up towards 50, as my kids are in high school and now college and now one's about to get married, as all those transitions have been happening, that I've really thought about family and about my impact on my own children, and did I do enough? Did I do those right things? You know, growing up, I had an idea or two of what a, a perfect family would look like. I was the TV junkie in my house, so as we moved around, my dad managed Walmart stores. I was a Walmart brat. You've heard of military brats, Air Force, Army brats, those things. I was Walmart. My dad did a great job, so they'd move him on to the next place. And as we moved into these new communities, I felt like it was my job. I needed to figure out which channel was which. Because in every community, we, you know, at that time, we had maybe 13 channels if you were lucky. Um, so you'd have to figure out where ABC, NBC, CBS, and then PBS was at. That was sometimes all we'd get. But I loved watching old TV reruns. There were shows like Father Knows Best, The Brady Bunch, and even The Andy Griffith Show. However, there's one that stands out to the most picture-perfect family, and that was Leave it to Beaver. The little family of Ward, June, Wally, and Theodore, or the Beaver, uh, would navigate the twists and turns of a normal life while dealing with the hijinks of the youngest son. Felt a little bit like my own household. Um, 
I think about my brother growing up, and he was, we'll call him a scamp. That's, that's a good word. My brother was, um, had his own set of hijinks going on, it seemed like, all the time. Everything seemed to be ideal in the Cleaver's home. But that shouldn't come as a surprise when your life is scripted and all of life's problems can be resolved in 30 minutes of television. And that was TV. There are no perfect families. In fact, more families are probably closer to the hex of the, the show The Middle or maybe in the Connors from the show Roseanne. The truth is that God has an ideal for us to aim for, what we need to be looking to. As Christ followers, our actions impact those in our homes and in our world around us. What we choose to do, people see that. They see that interaction. And again, I'm not talking about putting on any sort of false face to everybody outside. I'm talking about being real. In our real realness, people see that and is impacted by it. As we make choices to follow God's plan for the family, we have an opportunity to be a witness for Him and to show the lost the Savior that we love. Now today we want to take a few moments to look at God's plan for the family. Now, if your kids are grown, you might think it's too late. Is it too late for us to impact Riley's life? He's, he's about to get married in January. Is it too late? So I, I think about that. One of the great things about God is that He is a God of second chances. That your life and your faith can still impact your adult children and the grandchildren that God has blessed you with. And when we know and live out God's Word, it it has the power to change the world. So don't beat yourself up if you feel like you failed, that you didn't do a good enough job with your own children. Realize you can still teach out of the Word and out of your experience. God can use those things to impact the next generation for Jesus. And our world needs that. Our world needs the, the biblical wisdom that the, the Word offers, but they also need the experience that you have had as a part of your life. The marriage is represented here. I, I'd love to add up how many years we have. There are people that need to know how to make it and how to work through those things. You can still teach out of the Word and out of your experience. And even if those were some failures, you can still teach out of that experience. So today we want to look at five things that mark God's ideal for the family. I thought, well, I only have verses 1 through 4. Pastor Kirk got 22 through 33 last week. I feel like shortchanged. But the truth is that in these short verses right here, there's a lot of truth that we need to unpack. And the first is this. God's ideal for the family is that they worship together. Now, how do we see that here in this passage? We find it in the very first word that's offered, children. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul addressed children in the verse of 1 of chapter 6. Note that the verse doesn't say, parents, tell your children to obey you. It says, children, obey your parents. Now, it leads me to believe that the children were a part of the assembly. Warren Wearsby confirms that in his commentaries and states that it was expected to see parents explaining things to their children as the service went on. You see, it wasn't a matter of them receiving information passed down through their parents. Children were a part of the gathering when the teaching from the apostle was shared. It's a very real thing. Again, Paul could have easily have written, parents, 
tell your children that they should obey you. Or parents, make your children obey you. None of that. He addresses children here. It's important for us to consider as we think through the ministry opportunities of our church and how they fit into what and who we are. What is the most biblical approach for children in worship? Do we have a children's church? Do we have an elementary worship? Do we have a separate youth service? There are churches throughout our country and throughout our world that have all of those things. But is the best choice? Is it the, the best choice for the spiritual development of our children? I think about uh, our family. After we closed our mission church, we were trying to figure out what to do, so we visited a variety of churches. What was that going to look like back in 2007? We ended up in one of the local churches, a rather large church. We walked in the door, and they said, well, you take your kids here. And, oh, how old are they? Okay, so there's two different groups here, and then you'll come to worship with us. In those moments, it was very segregated by age. There's something missing when that doesn't, when you're not together as a family for worship. So what do we need to, to understand through this? One number one, well, our children can learn through example. <clears throat> they see us sing, they see us pray, they see the, us read the word, and they see us care for one another. God's ideal is that we worship together as a family. Last week, a week ago Sunday, my mom and I went to the Arkansas-Mississippi State game. It was a game full of twists and turns and extremely exciting all the way to the end. And on the way back to the car, we heard a little boy yelling, how about them hogs? I mean, high pitch, you hear it out. Did he just randomly pick up that phrase? No. He had heard his dad yelling it as they moved back to their cars. It was the example in front of him. Now, I've heard worse things being said by children at games. You guys know that I announce the football games at Lincoln High School, and while there was no profanity, it was the, the statements were a bit harsher coming from children because they were coming from their parents. It's important for us to understand that our children pick up the example that is there. You see, in both of those cases, they were living out the example that had been set in front of them. We can expect the same of our children. When they worship with us, they will worship as we do. If we fail to engage with the Word and the musical worship, then it should be no surprise that they sit solemn and bail on church as quickly as they can. When you come to church, do you engage? When you come to church, are you worshiping? Are you fully here? Are you come out of duty and responsibility? And I go to my pew, I endure for the hour and a half, and then I go home and I'm done. I have checked off my spiritual duty for the week. But when we're fully engaged, those children see us. Even if they're not our children, they're the other children in, in the worship service. John Piper writes, Parents have the responsibility to teach your children by their own example the meaning and value of worship. Therefore, parents should want their children with them in worship so the children can catch the spirit and form of their parents' worship. Children should see how mom and dad bow their heads in earnest prayer during the prelude and other non-directed times. They should see how mom and dad sing praise to God with joy in their faces and how they listen hungrily to his word. They should catch the spirit of their parents meeting the living God. Something seems wrong when parents want to take their children in the formative years and put them with other children and other adults to form their attitude and behavior in worship. Parents 
should be jealous to model for their children the tremendous value they put on reverence in the presence of Almighty God. It's an article from John Piper from 1995. And I've actually shared it. It should be popping up in our Facebook group so that you'll be able to read that in its entirety. But it is important to understand that it is about example. Our children seeing us worship, seeing us engage with the Word. I have loved, I watch, like many, I'll get pulled into the social media watching a video, whether it's a reel on Instagram or um, just some video. You know, a lot of times it's dogs because we have dogs and it's like, oh, that's so cute. But a lot of times I will see young children, I mean two, three-year-olds, standing in pew. You'll see them swaying back. You'll see, I've seen one where a little girl's worshiping. Did she just randomly do that? No. She did that because she saw her parents and the other adults in gathered worship do that. So it's important that they see that example. Secondly, our children learn through participating. While they may not understand every word or the why of what we do, our children have the opportunity to sing, pray, read the word, and care for others as they come and are part of the gathered worship. As with most, thing, both, most things that we do, our learning will only go so far before we put into practice those things that we are taught to us verbally. There's great value in bringing our children to worship with us because they are participating in the act of worship even before they take steps towards Christ. They see and then they do. In essence, we are encouraging our children to follow us as we follow Christ, just like Paul said in the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Our children need to participate in that. Now, I know that there are a lot of things that immediately pop to mind, but I want us to look at one other thing. Our children learn, as they're called, Scripture is clear about how Jesus felt about children. The Bible says in Matthew 19, 14, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He never said, put them in another room and teach them later. He said to them, let the little children come to me. While I believe in the use of age-graded Sunday school, I'm a big fan of intergenerational worship. I just am. For too long, the Sunday school or Sunday morning worship hour has been segregated. Race was a part of that issue, but now, or more common now, is the age issue, age segregation. There is too much value of families worshiping together to push children out because they just make too much noise. And they do. But as I hear children in, in worship times, I think there's the life of the church. What does that mean for us here at Calvary? Number one, that means that we must make sure that our children's worship reflects what the Bible says rather than what is easy or adheres to the traditions of the church. And number two, we want to see your children involved in your life groups. In our group, Miles is an active part of our meal times and on occasion will chime in with something during our study times. Is it related to what we're talking about? Probably not. Nine times out of ten, it's a big no. But he sees his mom and dad involved in our life group. He sees them praying together, sharing and reading from the Word. They make it a priority. And so Miles knows that that's a priority to them. Children need to be a part of our worship for their sake and for ours. And I know there may be Things that pop to mind, there may be arguments that are going on in your head as you think through this, but understand, 
the value of that time period. And there's a number that, that Piper lists in that article. From the ages of 4 to 17, there are 650 or somewhere around that Sundays that you could worship together. And then they're gone. My kids, those times are gone. And it feels like it was just yesterday. Those moments are gone. But they understood. And while we didn't always sit together, rarely did we sit together because I was up on the platform leading worship, um, they knew how important it was to be in worship because we made it a priority. Understand that God's ideal for the family is that they worship together. What else do we see? Well, we see God's ideal for the family is that children obey their parents. So if I could say, Miles, obey your parents. Caitlin, Avery, obey your parents. Annabelle, obey your parents. Let's see who's up there. Oh, there's Kylie. Obey your mom. <laughs> it is important for us to understand that the Apostle Paul directed that to the children in the gathered assembly as they heard what he was sharing. It's God's ideal for the family that children obey their parents. Children in believing homes should be different, not because we have forced them into a submissive attitude, but because Christ rules that household. Obedience reflects submission to God the Father. Last week we talked about the picture of Christ and the church portrayed by the marriage relationship. The need to provide example and witness can be derived from a similar place. The obedient child reflects the obedient God follower. The message to the children was pretty simple. You are in Christian homes. What you do matters to those inside and outside of those homes. If you're disobedient, it reflects who you are as a believer. What you do matters inside and outside of your home. Obey your parents and your witness will be all the stronger. Second thing in looking at this idea of obedience is obedience brings about peace in the home. It just does. The secondary factor is that obedience in the home brings peace. If you have ever had a disobedient 10-year-old or a teenager, or maybe a 3-year-old, you understand the difficulty and stress that consume your family. Right now we're dealing with disobedient dogs, and God's Word doesn't really talk about that. But that's a lack of peace in our home. As believers, peace should be our concern. Romans 12, 18, the Bible says, If possible, so far as it depends on uh, you, live peaceably with all. Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. God's ideal for the family is that children obey their parents. The Apostle Paul writes it very clearly. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This makes a difference. Not just for your home and what's going on there, but it makes a difference for what's happening outside of it. Number three, God's ideal for the family is that children honor their mother and their father. As we look in verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I think we could all say we like verse 3. We all want that. We want things to go well for us and to live long in the land. This passage reflects Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, 16 as part of the Ten Commandments. 
It's not just for those living in the home. It is something that we should carry with us throughout our life, especially if our parents are Christ followers. God calls us to honor our parents. If we do that, there is a promise. All will go well and we will live long in the land. Those are significant words that shouldn't just simply be dismissed. We should do what we can to honor our parents in our homes and beyond. The world around us sees those things. The actions and activity within our homes can impact the attitudes of those on the outside. Let me say that one more time. The actions and activities within our homes can impact the attitudes of those on the outside. What we do matters. If we want to have a witness for Christ, what goes on in our home matters. It's important that we're following Christ, that we are submitting one to another and following those roles that God has laid out for us. So how do we honor our parents? We do it in the small ways with things like obedience, but we can do it in larger ways with events. I don't know if any of you were here during that time, but for my dad's 50th birthday, we hosted an event across the way at the Family Life Center. We had many of his friends and family members join us for a meal and a time of sharing. And I'm so glad that we took time to do that. Who knew that we would just have 11 more years? I was hoping for 50 more. We did something similar with mom's 60th birthday. And whether you want to do something big or simply honor your parents in the day in, day in and day out of life, make sure that you honor them. It will mean a great deal to them, and it will impact the world around you. As we choose to honor our parents, those around us are given a taste of how we honor God. There's so many parallels in this family relationship and our relationship with God the Father that we can't dismiss that. So just as we look back and we saw that this marriage relationship represented Christ in the church, our relationship with our children and with our, with our father and our mother, those things are connected. The world sees that interaction. They see those things, and it is a great picture that shows about our relationship with God. The fourth thing that we want to look at this morning is that God's ideal for the family is that dads don't provoke their children to anger. Now, does this mean don't get on to them? No. Does this mean to set aside discipline? Far from it. But according to the Faithful Study Bible, or Faith Life Study Bible, in first century Greco-Roman society, fathers as the head of the household had complete authority within the household to administer discipline. Paul advises us, uh, advises them to avoid exercising that authority in ways that might cause their children to harbor resentment. Paul is advocating for fathers treating their children with kindness, which would have been unexpected in that society. He is arguing that parents treat their children as Christ would. Wearsby explains it further by stating, In Paul's day, the father had supreme authority over the family. When a baby was born in a Roman family, for example, it was brought out and laid before the father. If he picked it up, it meant he was accepting it into the home. If he did not pick it up, it mean that the child was rejected. It could be sold, given away, or even killed by exposure. That was the reality of the day. That was the reality of the world that Paul was writing to. 
Paul's words to parents was, don't use your authority to abuse the child, but to encourage and to build up that child. In Colossians 3.21, he wrote, Fathers, provoke not your children uh, to anger, lest they be discouraged. So the opposite of provoke is actually to encourage. God wants us to build up our families, to build up our children, to encourage them, to help them accomplish much for the gospel. Again, those outside of the body will have the opportunity to see a father's love shaped by the love of Christ if the father will submit himself to our Heavenly Father. Often that's not the case. There are issues of generational um, activity or generational feelings, and this is how I'm going to treat my child because, well, that's the way I was treated, and they treated their child because that's how they were treated. But for a Christ follower, we should be looking to God's Word as the ultimate authority in our lives and in our homes. It's important that we look to those things. Again, those outside of the body will have the opportunity to see a father's love shaped by the love of Christ if the father will submit himself to our Heavenly Father. What does this look like so we can avoid the bad parts? Well, fathers provoke their children and discourage them by saying one thing and then doing another. They provoke by always blaming and never praising they provoke by being inconsistent and unfair and disciplined. They provoke by showing favoritism in the home. They provoke by making promises and not keeping them. They provoke by making light of things the children see as important. God's Word is very clear here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Then he goes on, he's, this last piece, but he could have easily have just said, Fathers, encourage your children. Do you encourage your children? Even your adult children, they need it. Do you encourage your grandchildren? They need it. Because our world is harsh and it's hard. And they need the encouragement that the Lord offers. They're the things that we are to avoid, but ultimately God calls us to live in submission to one another. In submission to Him, in submission to one another, in submission to the roles that He has given us to fulfill. So let's look at number five. God's ideal for the family is that parents instruct their children in biblical principles. We see this in the last part as uh, the Apostle Paul writes, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The last half of the verse four instructs parents and specifically fathers to bring them up in discipline and instruction. Again, I think it's important for us to see what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, fathers, Take your children to church so they can, they can instruct your children about Jesus. The importance, the onus is on us as fathers and as parents. We are to make sure that our children understand the truths of Scripture. This is, I'll tell you, being very transparent, this is one of the things that worries me the most. Did I teach my children enough about loving God? We live that out in front of them. But I wonder, did I show them enough? I can't control their decisions. I can't control their actions. Right now, they have both made good choices, both of my kids. But you know what? Ultimately, it comes down to that. All I can do is instruct and put those things into their life. You see, we're to make sure that our children understand the truths of Scripture. Ultimately, we are to be the disciple-makers in our children's lives. 
The church is here to aid in that process, but the responsibility falls on moms and dads. I had that responsibility. You had that responsibility if your child is grown. Or if you have children in the home, that is your responsibility to be the disciple maker in that home. See, we're to follow the Deuteronomy 6 principle. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6 tells us what? That we are to teach the Word to our children as we navigate through life. Are you teaching your children about God and His Word? Are you taking advantage of moments to share with your children before they leave the home? Do you take those moments in the car? as going 10,000 places over the time. So many moments that I feel like maybe I wasted a moment or two or several. I wish I had done more. But still have those moments. Still have opportunity to invest in my children and if God blesses, one day, grandchildren. I wish desperately that I could go back and, and have some of that time back, but I can't. And all I can do is move forward, and that may be the same with you. We can't go back in time and beat ourselves up about past mistakes. We ask for God's forgiveness, and we commit to moving forward with God's plan of sharing His Word with the, the small people in our life. The little people. Those people we love, that we care about, that we want to see grow in favor with the Lord. Think about how you can invest with your children, how you can invest in your grandchildren. Think about the questions that you can ask them. It's vitally important that we point the, the next generation to Jesus Christ. And it's not over. It doesn't end when your kids are grown or when your grandkids are grown. You have a responsibility throughout life to be pointing others to Him. And so we need to do that and be diligent in that. God has given us an ideal for the family. It's, it is one that he wants us to pursue. While not an exhaustive list here in Ephesians 6, it's a great place for us to start as we want to reflect a godly home. We're to bring our families to worship. We're to encourage obedience in our homes. We are to honor our mothers and our fathers. We are to work to not provoke our children, we are to bring up our children in the instruction of the Lord. Ultimately, this is all about submission. Are we willing to submit ourselves to God and His plan for our family? Because not enough of us are. We think, well, that's great for Sunday mornings. I'll go to church, we'll step through that, but when the rest of the week hits, it's all about the other things in life. We need to understand that all of life, all of your life, it's not about you. It's not about me. It is about our Heavenly Father. And we need to submit ourselves to Him and His plan for our family. Are we willing to make Him number one in our hearts and in our homes? That starts with a relationship with Christ. If that's something that you have somehow skipped in this process, because we know 
Those of us in ministry have seen it time and time again that people early on in life maybe just went forward and they got baptized and became a part of the church, but they never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's where it has to start. We have to submit ourselves to the very God of the universe and say, I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. I need a relationship with you, and I'm accepting the free gift of salvation. That's where it starts. But then after that, it is a lifetime of sanctification, of becoming right before God. There is that moment of positional uh, sanctification where we're made right before God, but then there's something called progressive sanctification as we grow in our relationship with Him. And that's what we do every day when we submit and say, God, work in my life, work in my heart, work in my home, and we'll do all these things for you. When we do these things, when we submit, our homes will be stronger and Jesus will be made big in our community. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. And I just ask that uh, you help us to honor you in our lives and in our ministries. Father, we want to impact uh, this world. And we know that if we submit ourselves to you, you can do great and glorious things. Father, bless us as a church. Bless, bless us as individuals and as families. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.